So what you're telling me is that Emily Blunt is barefoot in the kitchen and she doesn't talk? Yeah, bring on the monsters. All right, all right. I'm not going to be a shithead this whole episode. Of course not. Because I'm here to talk about A Quiet Place, and I'm here to talk about it uh, as seriously as possible. As seriously as my faculty allows me to talk about it. And uh, I want to start off by saying that this is a movie that I dug. I really liked A Quiet Place. Um, That's not to say this movie is perfect, not by any means. And I'm going to spend some time talking about it. Talking about it as much as I can. You know, there's no real dialogue to discuss it's it's a it's a weird picture to talk about there's no dialogue to discuss the story is uh it's pretty simple and uh, there's a couple of moments of holy shit in this that i also think's worth worth discussing um i'm not gonna spoil the ending or anything like that i'll probably spoil it along the way um but i will not spoil the very end of the movie because again we're not gonna go through this sequentially i just want to talk about some of the ideas put forth by a quiet place now one of the things i dig about this movie is that it has a um a very unique take on on a monster movie, so to speak. Now, before I even talk about that, let's just remind everybody who's in this movie. So this was directed by John Krasinski, who, of course, is... uh, I don't even know what the fuck his name is in the office. Jim, I believe. Um, So John Krasinski, Emily Blunt, uh, Millicent Simmons, Noah Juppé, Cade Woodward. These are all the kids' names. So we got uh, a married couple in Lee and Evelyn Abbott and their kids. And uh, we established this movie rather quickly with some post-apocalyptic shots, I guess you would say. Um, These are the shots that are telling us that things are not right in the world. And I like the way we start off with this. And and we're going to talk about that. We're going to springboard off of that in a second. I just want to talk about the general idea of this whole movie, which is this decision to have the monsters react to sound. We've all seen the previews for this movie. If you haven't seen the movie yet, I'm pretty sure you know what's going on just from the previews, which is these monsters hunt by sound. Consequently, that means that you cannot make sounds or the monsters will zero in on you rather quickly. And I think that's a cool concept. It reminded me of that movie, Don't Breathe, which is where they go into a guy's house and he is blind and they're trying to hide from him, and he's blind. That's a little bit different. It's uh, like the film Hush, which is a good independent film. Well, independent, smaller, I guess you'd say. It's, it's a, it has that art house feel. It's not a, a big budget film. Hush is about a woman who is deaf, and she's facing home invasion. And there are these moments where the man attempting to home invade her bangs on the glass, while her back is to him and she's on the couch and you get that feeling of, oh my God, he, she can't hear him and he's starting to discover it, that kind of tension or in don't breathe when he's walking right by them and they're trying not to make a sound or in a quiet place, the movie in question, we have uh, this, this you can't make a sound or they will find you. Now, I remember the idea of this predatory hunting with a different sense first 
My first memories of it in cinema was with Jurassic Park, which was when the, don't move his his eyesight's based on movement, right? With a T Rex. I always thought, whoa. One, I didn't know that. B, I don't even know if that's true. Uh, and C, it made for really good movie tension. I remember that distinctly. And this, that tension in Jurassic Park, where don't move, his 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 vision's based on movement is where a quiet place lives. It's where Hush lives. It's where uh, Don't Breathe lives. And I'm sure there's other movies. Those are just what I'm pulling off the top of my head. But but with a quiet place, we live in that moment. We live in a T-Rex. A T-Rex's vision is based on movement. Don't move. The whole movie lives in that tension with a quiet place. They can't make any sounds to the point where they traverse their territory uh, barefoot. I always thought that was a neat thing. And I like this. I like seeing the, I like that we are a little bit forward in time here. We don't witness the apocalypse. We don't witness this apocalyptic moment where these monsters are on earth and have done the damage they've done. We are into it. I believe three months at the outset of the film. So within three months, we see people adapt rather quickly. They start taking certain precautions. They're barefoot. They don't make any noise. They rely on sign language. The whole family knows sign language. I think obviously that started as a result of the daughter. I think her name is Reagan. I believe she is she's deaf and i believe that's probably where they started with the sign language but when we open up on the movie they're they're doing a supply run as made famous by the walking dead right and in there's shades of the walking dead in a quiet place and when i say that i mean the best parts of the walking dead it's no secret if you're listening to lsg media that my love affair with the walking dead has subsided <laughs> as of late in fact i don't even watch it anymore which is my problem not the shows it's okay it's it's, it's i'm not going to dog on it here um, but but the best parts of the walking dead the most memorable moments of the walking dead uh, the the post apocalyptic runs the taking of the precautions the seeing how society adapts to the new situation to the new circumstances of everyone's collective lives and what that means and how they have to prepare that's fascinating and we see that with a quiet place even in as simple as walking around barefoot outside barefoot walking through a small town street barefoot walking across the woods through the woods barefoot this uh, this lends to stealth this uh this also is a dangerous endeavor as we're going to see in the movie later when uh, evelyn of course emily blunt's character steps on a nail Oof, baby yowza if you've ever stepped on a nail oh man i've never stepped on one quite like that quite punctured all the way to the hilt <laughs> but uh, having worked on some job sites with my dad, I have taken some some bites by nails through work shoes before, and it's not pleasant. That said, we see how they have to lay down sand and things like this, but these opening moments are outstanding. These opening moments, we see um, little flashes of how this may have occurred with old newspaper articles, old post articles about its sound, everyone underground. Uh, things of this nature. And uh, that's just awesome. You know, I think that that's really cool. I apologize for that beep. <laughs> my uh, my Mac made a little noise there. I'll make sure to mute that. But um, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's what we get glimpses of the story. So that's an awesome part of, of this movie. Um, 
The acting is really top notch. Emily Blunt, John Krasinski, as much as I broke his balls about, you know, making Jim faces in the office, he's good. Uh, I got to give it up to him. And he's good in the office too. And the office is great. And, and I would always break Jim, the character Jim's balls, but he's good. Um, in, in the, in the cast, is just good. The kids are good. I, I, I'll tell you, I'm starting to find that kids are, be, are better more often than they are worse in films. I'm starting to feel that, which is, which is what I'm seeing in movies just as of late. I feel like kids are doing a better and better job compared to some kids in other movies. I know I've used to make fun of, of course, Carl in The Walking Dead, um, that teen angsty bullshit, but it, and, and that resides a little in this, but it's believable. It makes sense. It's a stressful environment. Um, and, and, uh, I guess my point is that the, the, the performances measure up to what I would imagine these people would behave like, but the opening incident, and this of course is a spoiler, the opening incident, the opening 10 minutes of the film, it's, it's almost like textbook screenplay writing here at minute 10 or page 10 in your script, they lose their youngest kid. It gets attacked and murdered, killed, I guess you could say by one of these creatures uh, as they're walking across a bridge, the kid has a toy that he shouldn't have had, and he has batteries in the toy, which dad tried to make him not have, but the sister gave him a toy without the batteries, and then the little kid snatched the batteries, it's the little spaceship, and of course, he uh, it makes this crazy noise. And there's this amazing moment of tension, this amazing and intense scene right in the beginning, these first 10 minutes, where one of these monsters just runs and picks off the kid. So a couple things about their marching orders. <laughs> I'm not sure why the tiny little kid would be left to stray as the rear guard, right? You, you can't have the kid as the rear guard. He's got to be up close to the parents. You got to keep it better on your kid. I'm just saying, okay? Far be it for me to judge parenting in the apocalypse, especially as a non-parent. But guys, I'm just talking basic line duty here. Basic marching order for your party. You can't have the weakest element at the rear guard. Um, and, uh, of course, he paid the price. He paid the uh, the nasty price because this is our first glimpse of what we're dealing with here, these really creepy monsters that remind me of Starship Troopers. And we just see this thing bombing, bombing through the woods on this hard flanking run. And it just smashes through the kid, and we we cut away. And then we jump ahead over a year. And this is a great choice in the movie. I really like this. I think that the movie didn't have to, it didn't have to linger on the death of this kid and what it's going to do to this family. It did, we didn't have to watch the burial scene. We didn't have to watch them devastated and you know trying to cry, cry silently into pillows. We didn't need that. That's not what the movie is about. The movie is about surviving in these weird circumstances. And it does a good job of helping us see that story. I think the jumping ahead was a really good move. It's, it's hard to just move past kid death, which is why you have to jump far into the future for us to swallow that. And that's something I liked about this movie, that we didn't linger on that. We didn't have to. And it just goes to show you, Three months in, they have a pretty good system down, right? They have a pretty good routine down. They're figuring it out. They're three months into this apocalyptic event where aliens that hunt by sound have ravaged humanity, at least in this particular locale. We've seen 
the competence, yet we've seen a vital mistake, a vital mistake by everyone, specifically the daughter, specifically by the daughter, Reagan, which is giving the kid the toy. And then, of course, the kid's mistake of taking the little batteries and putting them in the toy and having it make noise and getting picked off. Um, when we jump ahead a year, security's going to be tighter. They're going to be a little more careful. They're going to be a little more cautious about things that go on. I like that we see that mistake early and it costs them dearly. Now, one of the things about this movie that I think is fascinating is just the concept. It's, it's this ability, it's this ability to tell the story with visual cues only. The dialogue's not going to tell you anything. We, we see moments where, where Lee is sitting at this ham radio. We see a whiteboard with notes that talk about the creature. We see newspapers strewn about. We see uh, him trying to reach uh, you know, other shortwave radio people via frequencies in other countries and marking them off and going down the list. I like this. This is telling us quite a bit about what's going on with, with the story. We know everything we need to know to get through the story, to sit and watch the story and to viscerally experience the situation that this family finds themselves in. And that is a great setup. Little character moments as well, um, where they have to, the kid's pretending to drive the car. Just these little things that you would imagine, what, what do you do for entertainment? You can't make much noise. There's not much you can do. You, you, you are really limited in your recreation. And this was something Matthew and I talked a lot about in The Walking Dead. It's, it's not just about survival anymore. When you get X amount of seasons into the apocalypse, it's really about living. You have to move beyond survival and into living. It's just a hierarchy of needs, correct? Once you have yourself secure, once you think you have a place, once you have a food source, then you can start entertaining intellectual pursuits, entertaining entertaining pursuits, <laughs> to, to be redundant here, uh, pursuing pleasure, I guess, pursuing play, things of this nature that you just don't have the opportunity to when you are in ultimate survival mode. And... I like that. I like that we see this. We see the humanizing effect on it. We see how they are prepared. We see how they have their whole compounds set up. They have a, a massive amount of land. Um, and of course, we are pulled into the story. So we can viscerally experience the story almost in a first-person perspective the way they experience the story. Now, herein lies some of the criticism for the film that I've read, that I've seen, that friends have had that I myself have, uh, probably to a lesser extent than some of the more harsh critics, and that's this. If you stop to think about the mode of hunting that these creatures have, this is, this is one of those, let me back up a little. This, this thought I'm having is one of those things that you consider after the movie passes, but not while you're experiencing it, which is why I think it's important sometimes to see a movie twice. Because a lot of times when you sit down to watch a movie, you're not considering the how, 
the why. You're not considering the hypothetical of the rules laid out by the movie. The, the movie sets up a paradigm and you just go with it while you're experiencing it and getting these visceral feelings and thrills and, and you have an opinion almost immediately. And then a couple hours pass and you chit-chat and you think about it and then you watch it again and you have a new, a, a new appreciation for the movie or, or even a new way to approach things that you may have missed that you are now critical of because the emotion has passed. And that's why I like to see things more than once before I talk about them um, if I'm going to talk about them at length. That's one of the cool things about this show is that for the most part, I'm seeing these for the first time and you're getting almost an instant reaction. That's not always the case with some of these episodes. Obviously, I've seen A Quiet Place before sitting down to watch it now. Um, whereas, say, The Neon Demon, I'd only seen that one time. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of days to reflect upon it, I guess is my point. And with, with A Quiet Place, I have. Therefore, you're going to get that. So, buckle up. I think there's, there's, there's a lot of inconsistency in the way the sound works in this movie. If you are inside your house and you are rolling dice on, on, on a, a cloth and not on the board because you want to mute the sound of dice hitting a board, yet you're outside starting a crackling fire, it's, you're, you're not being totally consistent with, your, with, your, with the paradigm set forth of how, of how incredible these things can hear. And I think that that is a problem as it relates to following the movie's logic on a second viewing. Some people thought this stuff on a first viewing, which is cool. You know, you, you, it's, if you, if you kind of were taken out of it immediately, I, I guess that's just the way you're going to view it. I didn't. I took the movie for what it was in the moment. But now that I'm reflecting on it, I think about that. There's definitely a few inconsistencies there. There, there are things that occur in the house that you would imagine provoke more sound than not putting dice, not, not rolling six-sided dice on a Monopoly board, uh, a piece of cardboard, hard cardboard, as it were. So that's one of the things. And then you, but then you, you might have a crackling fire. Um, and there's a couple of examples where they, there's a point where they're at this waterfall and they yell just to kind of get it out of their systems. But the way sound works is that if you yell over the sound of the thing, then it's possible if these things in here so well, they're going to pick up on your voice coming up over the sound of the waterfall. If you're screaming and your screaming is louder than a waterfall and I'm a human being and I can hear you screaming over the sound of a waterfall, I can hear you, let alone these things, they can hear great. So that's one thing. That's one of those nitpicky things, I think. Or maybe not. I mean, the whole movie's based around that premise. So I don't know if I'm I don't know if it's nitpicky. I don't know what it is, but it, you have to judge for yourself, I guess is my point. To me, it didn't really bother me that much, but I but I do think it bears pointing out that it's not entirely logically consistent, especially since the movie's built around the whole premise. But look, a lot of my favorite movies suffer from this type of writing. They don't necessarily follow the rules put forth in in certain things. So that's, that's kind of the one thing. Um, but, but, got, but back to complimenting the movie, I, I will say this. The, the movie's only 90 minutes, and that makes sense. It is, it's, it's not going to have, in my opinion, it's not going to have a lot of rewatchability because there is no dialogue, because it does rely on, uh, uh, gimmick might be tough, but it does rely on the gimmick of, of the whole premise, which is fine. 
but that means that it's going to have hard it's going to be hard to rewatch because i almost feel like once you experience it for what it is you're not going to go back and watch it a bunch of times but but maybe not maybe i'm overthinking that that that's really just my personal preference on a quiet place i don't know if i'm going to watch this movie a ton of times i don't own it i rented it um, i saw it in the theater and i rented it for this podcast i don't know how many times you can watch a quiet place like this, but maybe you could. I'm sure you could tell other stories. Nobody thought Walking Dead could go on for ten seasons with a with a simple premise of that there's dead people and they walk around and they try to eat you. But you did, so hey, maybe maybe I should shut the fuck up and let people make the movies. Well, and I'll talk about the movies. <laughs> uh, one of the other things I like about this movie is the interpersonal relationships, the guilt that Reagan has, the fear that the other son has. I don't know his name. Sorry, I, I don't know if that's Marcus. That might be Marcus. Yeah, Noah plays Marcus. Noah Jupe plays Marcus. Um, but yeah, just just the the interpersonal family dynamic, which plays out without them talking. It's crazy, right? I like that. I like I like that we see the struggle here. We we see not just the struggle against the environment, but just the struggle of raising a family. And then the added stress of the big, terrible things that happen. Losing your youngest son. Your daughter feels responsible. Your daughter feels like perhaps dad blames her. And he may on his darkest day. He would never, of course, say that to his daughter because he's not a piece of shit. The, the way the family dynamic deals with this stuff. And then, of course, how they move forward from the emotional conflicts within their family structure while at the same time combating the issues that we have. This is something we talk about in Battlestar Galactica quite a bit. It's not just that we're fleeing the Cylons. It's that we're also dealing with all our own bullshit and in coming to realize that we're, are, we get in our own way. We're facing annihilation at the hands of the Cylons, yet we still have petty squabbles about nonsense. And, and I like that. I like that we see that in a quiet place. And in a mistake in quiet place is death a lot of the times. It's not that way with regular uh, corn husk and family here. So that's not necessarily always the case uh, on a simple farm. It's not like you make a mistake and suddenly a, a monster runs out of the woods and eats you. That's that the stakes are up for in all cases. The whole the whole film we're getting this oh no, this is really scary, this is really bad. One sound could cost us everything, everything. Um, again, you, you, you have to, <laughs> if you let your mind wander into the logic of the sound, you would probably start asking a lot of questions. Couldn't they have some sort of sound beacon that draws them to it? Or couldn't they, couldn't they uh, I don't know, pick, pick, pick your umpteen reasons as to ways you could combat these creatures by using sound to your advantage, which ultimately is something they end up using in the film. I'm not going to get into that because I don't want to spoil that part of it. But yeah, man, I would, I would say overall, generally speaking, I think A Quiet Place is, is fucking solid. I think it's definitely worth a watch. I don't think it's a perfect movie by any stretch. I think it's well done. I think it's tight. I think the acting is good. I like the gimmick of the premise. I, I don't like the fact that it's not always logically consistent with the way sound works. It just isn't. That's, you have to accept that going in. Um, I like that we see... Uh, I, I like that there is literally no chance. This is something I love about this movie. 
No chance fighting these things. Zero. You will not win. You will not win. You have to hope to take them by surprise. If you're out in the open field and they come charging through the woods and they get the drop on you, you're fucking dead. That's it. You're dead. If you got a shotgun and one's in your basement and you get the drop on it, sure, you might be able to blow its fucking head off. But for the most part, they will ravage you. You don't stand a chance. They're too fast. There's too many of them. And uh, they're, they, are, they, they act without hesitation. They're very animalistic in that way. They don't seem to have any motivation other than to kill things that make sound. So there you go. <laughs> and there must be a shitload of them. You know, I'm, I'm starting to think about this now. Considering where these folks are isolated way out in the country, there must be a ton of them. But I guess it would almost make sense that places like cities and anywhere where there's a lot of noise would, would suffer first, assuming there's tons of these things. They would be first on the target list, and then they would start running out of food if they eat us. I don't even know. And, and spread I'm, – I'm assuming that's what they do. And then spread out from there, right? You, so you'd imagine the epicenters, like the cities, the metropolitan areas would be first to go because there's all that noise – and then it would start to reach out to the rural areas after that, which I guess does make a little bit of a sense if you think about it that way, um, as, they, as they move across the land and, and destroy everything. <laughs> it's kind of wild. So my point in closing, watch the fucking movie. The performances are good. It's cool. It's not perfect on account of the logic of the movie, but I think you'll dig it. I think you'll like it. Um, I think the uh, ending is pretty cool. There, there, it gets a little bit goofy. I don't want to get into it. She's pregnant, ends up having a kid. They try to make the kid not cry. First of all, why are you getting fucking pregnant in this, in this world? You gotta, you gotta watch yourself there, right? Gotta wrap that shit up or something. I don't know, pull out, do something, guys. You don't need a fucking screaming baby in this world. No way. That's too much. But, um, it's worth a watch. Check it out. I love Emily Blunt. I respect Krasinski. And uh, I think this is pretty awesome, man. I'm, I'm, I'm happy he, he directed this movie. That's really cool. And I wish him the best in the future. I'm hearing tales of a possible sequel, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, I will probably watch a sequel if they do one. But uh, that's it. That's all I'm going to say for now. I think I'm done. I think I'm going to wrap this up. And we're going to get into uh, the next episode that we are going to be covering on the podcast we're gonna we're gonna go a little crazy we're gonna go lowbrow motherfuckers i'm looking forward to this shit um and now before i even get to that let me check my calendar because i got some weird calendar shit coming up here because we're not gonna be back the real quick pod's not gonna be back for a while um, so it's Tuesday the 6th. I'm recording this. I'm going to release this. I said I would release it today. I'm maintaining that commitment to you guys. I'm not going to be able to do this on the 13th or the 20th. So next week I'm in Florida. I haven't been to Florida in so fucking long. So I'm going down there for a week for like a pre-Thanksgiving with my mom and a bunch of family friends down there. So that's going to be awesome. The following week, the 19th and the 20th, Matthew's coming into town. So I don't want to commit to doing a, a real quick pod while he's here because him and I have a lot of stuff planned for LSG Media proper. So I'm going to say Tuesday the 27th is the likely day that I return to the real quick podcasts. Um, unless Matthew and I do a real quick together. We kind of we kind of have talked about that in the past, just jumping on together, especially if he's going to be in town. But But I'm going to say this, most likely... 
we are going, I, this, this podcast will be returning on Tuesday, the 27th. So mark that on your calendar, stay subscribed to the podcasts and you won't miss anything that comes out. Uh, so yeah, Tuesday, the 27th, we're going to say, so that's three weeks away. And I apologize for that, but Hey, real quick is uh, it's a, it's a little side fun. It's a little side fun, free content for you guys. So shut your fucking mouths and quit crying about it. Right. Tuesday, the 27th, baby, we'll be back unless Matthew and I decided that we are going to do uh, this next one together, which we just might, because it might be friggin' hilarious. So <laughs> here is the next movie that we're going to do on the podcast. And this is something I really want to do. And uh, you guys are going to make fun of me, and I don't even care. So give me a second. Okay. All right, here we go. We are covering The Meg. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, baby, The Meg. It will be available to rent, I believe, next week. So it'll be it'll be available for you guys to rent if you want to watch it, or you probably won't have to. And uh, I just have a, I want to watch a dumb movie. I just want to watch a dumb, ridiculous movie like The Meg. And it's been a while since we've done Jason Statham. I want to do Jason Statham kicking sharks in their fucking faces. So I'm looking forward to getting back on that train. And if for some reason Matt and I have time and he has the inclination to watch that movie, we will do it. But I'm going to say expect this to drop on the 27th of November. And uh, let's have a watch of the trailer. Now, I've never seen this movie, so I'll be coming in on this one on a one watch. So let's have a listen to the Meg. What you people discovered is bigger than we ever thought possible. How big is that thing? It was the largest shark that ever existed. A living fossil. Thought to have been extinct over two million years. It's a so ludicrous. That's a fucking giant octopus. It's a megalodon. He's kidding, right? <laughs> it's a fucking megalodon, mate. We're gonna kick it right in his face. It's the only way we can win. Or underwater kicks. Jesus Christ. I mean, the music, guys. You know this is bullshit, right? They're, they're making a funny movie. Why don't you just put a tracker on it? Did you guys ever watch Shark Week? Yeah, right back to another office star. He looks heroic, but he's kind of got a negative attitude. Yeah, so there we go. I mean, this is this is the movie we're going to cover on real quick. Next, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to some brainless bullshit that we can just have fun with. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, to, to wrap this episode up, my scale on A Quiet Place, uh, hated it, didn't like it, liked it, loved it. I liked it for sure. I liked the movie. I dig it. I think it's I think it's good. It's definitely worth watching. Uh, don't sell yourself short. Check it out. Don't take my word for it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get out of here. For those of you who celebrate Thanksgiving, uh, enjoy some time with your families and all that jazz. Uh, enjoy the, the turkey, whatever the fuck you're into. Just enjoy gathering with people you care about and love and all that happy horse shit. Right? Awesome. Take, take a minute to go be social, will you? All right. Take it easy, guys. Bye.
vivid memory of the first time. I was attending my niece's wedding and was at the sink in the men's room when a wet spot on the front of my trousers caught my eye. An unwelcome contribution from my bladder. Fortunately, I was wearing black and with my jacket buttoned, no one would be the wiser anyway, but for me, I knew it was time to see a urologist. Want to laugh during life's most embarrassing moments? LSG can help. Go to LibertyStreetGeek.net. Podcasters will give you a reason to wet yourself.